Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 128, Figuring Out What's Next. Hi, I'm Neil. It's good to be back recording another podcast episode. The month of June is flying by. A few weeks ago, I flew out to California to attend Apple's Developers Conference. We'll talk a little bit about that shortly. But since that time, I've primarily been writing a lot. I've been publishing daily updates for subscribers. A few days ago, I published a weekly article over at AboveAvalon.com titled, Apple is figuring out what's next. This is actually my review of WWDC 2018. I think one of the major takeaways from the keynote was found with something not announced on stage. Apple finds itself announcing new technologies that make more sense on form factors that don't yet exist. I think Apple management is increasingly focused on what comes next. We're going to talk about that in today's episode. WWDC is always a great time for Apple to show the world where it's playing offense. All of the features and software unveiled at this year's WWDC could be split into two large categories or buckets. The first bucket included items targeting the way we use and consume content on Apple devices. If that sounds a little bit familiar, Back in episode 126, Let's Talk Apple Services, we went over how a majority of Apple services business has to do with content distribution. And so when we look at this bucket, we have everything from empowering users with information regarding how their devices are being used to improving the way we consume content. Apple announced an updated Apple News app. We have Apple Podcasts available on Apple Watch. There's a completely redesigned Stocks app. That is a form of content consumption. There's a revamped and rebranded Apple Books app. So we see Apple going on the offense in terms of content distribution. We haven't even talked about Apple's video efforts. And there really wasn't a whole lot to talk about in terms of Apple Music. But you could put those into the portfolio. Apple knows it holds a lot of power when it comes to content distribution because they have a user base of a billion people and 1.4 billion devices. Apple isn't content with just letting others control the user experience found with its devices. That's one reason why content distribution and Apple really, I think, grabbing some power in this regard is very important. And when you look at adoption for many of these services, it's pretty good. Apple Music. I think Apple is well on its way to reaching 100 million subscribers over time. When you have this new video service ready to launch, most likely next year, it's probably going to be given a similar goal in terms of reaching quite a few people. The other group of announcements from WWDC 2018 was related to new technologies designed to make the cameras and screens in our life smarter. We have ARKit 2. It's introducing new ways of transforming our smartphone and tablet cameras into smart eyes. Siri Shortcuts. This is a continuation of Apple's efforts to customize Siri to better suit our lifestyle. Apple announced new machine learning capabilities, powering things like Memoji, and various other applications that are made possible by all of these smarter cameras. But there was a drawback. 
found with all of these cameras and screens that stand to benefit from all of these new technologies. We still have to hold them. This is why when you look at these augmented reality demos on stage, most people think they're pretty cool. At WWC, there was a Lego demo, and I, think it was, I thought it was pretty interesting. The thing is, having to hold an iPhone or an iPad up as an augmented reality viewfinder for long periods of time, that just isn't ideal. That isn't the future. We could look at things like Siri shortcuts and Siri suggestions. Yes, those items are interesting on things like iPhone and iPad, but they're so much more appealing on mobile displays that are worn in our bodies. Machine learning applications on iPhone and iPad, they can be incredibly useful for people. But the predictive and proactive nature of the technology can work wonders when you combine it with mobile cameras and screens that we don't have to hold. Apple is announcing new technologies that make more sense on form factors that currently don't exist. That was one of the main takeaways from this year's WWDC. While Apple management will never admit it, Apple has been thinking and looking beyond iPhone for years. That's why it's interesting when Apple management actually talks up the iPhone on earnings conference calls. We can look at the Apple Watch's ongoing march to iPhone independency as clear evidence of this post-iPhone thinking within Apple. Of course, this isn't to say that the iPhone will lose its spot as the most valuable computer in hundreds of millions of lives anytime soon. The iPhone will likely remain Apple's top revenue-generating product for some time. However, those realities don't determine Apple's post-iPhone product strategy. Management isn't driven by this goal to come up with something that is more profitable than iPhone. We often see this when people debate, is there anything more important than iPhone in the future? They look at profits and they conclude, well, wait a second. Average selling price of an iPhone, the margin, there's no way Apple can come up with a product that can beat those parameters. That's not how Apple thinks about this. The focus is on coming up with something that makes technology more personal. Something that can handle new workflows that were never able to be handled by iPhone. That's what drives Apple management. Last month, Mary Meeker presented the latest edition of her Internet Trends presentation. Meeker was a former sell-side tech analyst. She moved over to venture capital world a couple years ago. Her presentations tend to be known for a lot of things, but one characteristic is they're very long. There's a lot of information. This year's presentation contained 294 slides, and she actually goes through each one very quickly. Given so many slides, one would assume that's very difficult to narrow everything down to one major takeaway. But I think that task was possible this year. And the major takeaway was that the smartphone industry is mature. And it's time to figure out what's next. We have smartphone sales that are flat. The average consumer is okay 
with holding on to his or her smartphone for longer before upgrading. And we are actually still in the early innings of the ramifications of this slowdown. You're starting to see increased consolidation, increased competition at certain parts of the smartphone market. You're seeing Apple actually consolidate power at the premium end of the market. But I think one of the bigger things is you're starting to see companies begin to look beyond the smartphone. And it does seem like companies are heading in slightly different directions. Over at AboveAvalon.com in this week's article, I took a look at iPhone, iPad, Mac, and wearable sales over time. And when you graph those four items, and I graph them on a trailing 12-month basis, you'll see that Apple hasn't been immune to this trend of slowing smartphone sales. In fact, iPhone sales have basically plateaued. Apple is currently selling approximately 215 million iPhones per year. Now, it's not going to be like that every single year. Some years it could be a little bit higher than 215. Some years it could be lower. But I think in the near term, iPhone sales are probably going to be in that ballpark, in that range. I like to say up or down 10%. That's the ballpark. But taking a closer look at this unit sales exhibit, something jumps out at you. There's one line, there's one sales line that's increasing. Wearables. And this includes Apple Watch and AirPods. So when it's time to start thinking about what comes next, I think it's difficult to miss the momentum found with wearables. Apple is seeing momentum both in its battle for our wrist with Apple Watch and for our ears with AirPods. Now, what is going on here? What, what is the fundamental driver here? These new form factors are successful in making technology more personal for tens of millions of people. When you combine Apple Watch and AirPods sales and call that Apple's wearable segment. According to my estimates, that wearable segment will soon outsell iPad in terms of unit sales. Am I stretching in making such a claim? I don't think so. When you look back at this last holiday quarter, Apple Watch and AirPods, when you combine the sales of those two items, they almost beat iPad. Look at where the momentum is found. Spoiler, it's not with iPad. There's a new wearables battle on the horizon. It's for our eyes. This battle will revolve around a product that benefits from technologies currently found with ARKit, Siri, and Apple's machine learning efforts. Apple is setting the stage for smart glasses. When you think about a pair of smart glasses, they essentially boil down to an ML playground. They have to be cool looking and light enough to be worn throughout the day. There's one big problem for Apple. The world isn't quite ready for such a product. As Johnny Ive put it a few months ago, quote, there are certain ideas that we have and we're waiting for the technology to catch up. 
end quote. I think that ends up describing Apple's efforts with smart glasses. It's easy to think that Apple may simply be buying against time until the world is ready for AR glasses. However, WWDC gave us a glimpse of how Apple is busy behind the scenes. Apple's preparing for what comes next. With ARKit, Apple is using hundreds of millions of iPhones and iPads to inspire 20 million developers with the potentials found with augmented reality. A similar dynamic is at play in getting customers comfortable with items like emoji or memoji. Items that will likely one day be available via a pair of smart glasses. I would go so far as to say that Apple is doing more than any other company to prepare the world for augmented reality. There are startups like Magic Leap that have positioned themselves as being ambitious for wanting to control everything that's needed to develop a pair of mass market augmented reality glasses. So this isn't just a company that's focused on the hardware. They're not just focused on the software. The problem facing companies like Magic Leap is that they're missing a few crucial ingredients needed for success when it comes to developing a pair of mass market AR glasses. Unlike Apple, Magic Leap doesn't have a few hundred million devices for seeding early technologies that will eventually power a pair of smart glasses. Instead, look at what Magic Leap is forced to do. They're conducting a portion of their R&D in public. They're releasing early prototype or renderings of AR goggles. They're trying to capture AR mindshare. Why? Because that AR mindshare is increasingly flowing to Apple. Another item that Magic Leap doesn't have, but which will likely prove to be incredibly useful for AR glasses, is Apple Watch. Apple has learned a significant amount about how personal technology can be worn on the body by having 40 million people wear an Apple Watch on any given day. Apple Watch is serving as a testbed for learning about proactive digital assistance with something like the Siri watch face. However, the most important aspect of Apple Watch is how the device will likely end up powering a pair of smart glasses. What do I mean by that? Well, look at Apple Watch on a wrist. That's a great place to put tech on the body. And so in the future, if the goal is to have a very lightweight pair of glasses, well, maybe the watch, maybe the wrist is a place that you can put technology. That way you don't have to fit it or include it in a pair of glasses. An argument can be made that Apple Watch will become more instrumental to Apple Glasses success than any other Apple product. How many companies have a product like Apple Watch? I can't think of any. It's 2018, and there is no legitimate competition to Apple Watch. The funny part about that is that many competitors look at Apple Watch still as a toy. I look at that differently. I, I think Apple Watch is playing a crucial role in the augmented reality arena. Many companies just haven't seen it yet. 
So we see Apple pulling away from the competition when it comes to grabbing real estate on our wrist with Apple Watch in our ears with wireless earpods. I think the company has a very good shot at doing the same in the battle for our eyes. Before we discuss the various ways I think Apple is well-positioned for AR glasses, I did want to point out that last year, July 2017, I recorded episode 103, Apple glasses are inevitable. So if you're interested in why I think Apple glasses is almost a given at this point, you can go back and listen to that episode, episode 103. I'll include a link to that episode in the show notes. For today's discussion, I'll skim through the reasons that I think Apple is well-positioned for AR glasses. The first one, hardware and software integration. Simply put, Apple has a few decades worth of experience here, while the competitors, they've only recently realized that hardware software integration is essential when it comes to wearables. You can just look at the lack of competition for Apple Watch or wireless AirPods as a great example of this. The second way Apple is well-positioned for AR glasses, controlling core technologies. We talked a little bit about this one going over Apple's R&D bonanza. Apple's efforts to control the core technologies powering devices is giving the company a head start that will likely be measured in decades. The third item is somewhat related, wearables manufacturing. Apple is learning a great deal about how to manufacture technology for the body. Apple Watch, wireless AirPods, we are going to be talking about tens of millions of devices meant to be worn on the body. No other company is close to Apple in this area. The fourth reason, AR technology. In just over a year, Apple has announced two major versions of its AR platform, supporting hundreds of millions of devices. In addition, years of extensive M&A activity in the AR arena is beginning to pay dividends for Apple. The fifth item, developers. Apple has 20 million iOS developers focused on coming up with new experiences for a billion people. Look at companies like Magic Leap, Microsoft. They lack this critical piece of the equation when it comes to augmented reality. The sixth item, fashion and luxury. Again, it goes back to Apple Watch. Apple has learned a great deal about selling fashion. Health and medical. I think this one may be a surprise to some people. What may have started as an interest for Apple is now turning into a strategic mission. A pair of smart glasses stands to improve the well-being of hundreds of millions of people. How is that possible? Well, one use case for such a product is enhanced vision. And we're not just talking about looking at something clear. Instead, we're talking about a pair of glasses that can enhance our environment that can provide additional context suited just to us. That's not going to appeal just to the people who may need contact lenses or glasses. That's going to appeal to everyone. We have Apple Retail, 502 retail stores all around the world, plenty of space for showing off some pairs of augmented reality glasses. And by the way, we can add more items to this list. And I think over time, this list containing reasons why I think Apple's well-positioned for AR glasses, I think this list is going to get longer. We can look at Apple's stance on privacy. That's going to have a major impact if we move to a world where cameras aren't just found in our smartphones or in tablets. 
There's an elephant in the augmented reality room. This is Apple's game to lose. At this point in the discussion, we now turn to why Apple has to figure out what's next. What is the motivation behind this? If we go back five years or so, Apple management was facing growing pressure to announce something new. Wall Street and Silicon Valley were eager to see Apple unveil a new product category in the post-Steve Jobs era. According to this group, the lack of a new product category from Apple meant that management was either struggling with innovation or worse, suffering from a lack of imagination. This intense pressure to come up with something new likely played a role in Apple giving Apple Watch a huge product unveiling in September 2014. It would be fair to say Apple really was initially positioning Apple Watch sort of as an iPhone on your wrist. I think some of that positioning was due to the pressure facing Apple management. Fast forward a few years. Apple now faces a dramatically different environment. There aren't as many calls for Apple to come up with something new following Apple Watch. People used to measure how long Apple can go between new product categories. You don't see that anymore. You don't see people doing that. Instead, Apple's ability to monetize the iPhone experience beyond hardware sales has made people think Apple's a different kind of company. Maybe Apple is now more focused on monetizing its existing users instead of dreaming about what's next. In an interesting way, or an interesting twist, many market observers are now the ones suffering from a lack of imagination when it comes to Apple. Apple is a design company focused on creating tools for people. Some of those new tools may be positioned as accessories to existing products, and we've seen Apple introduce some of those accessories in recent years. Meanwhile, other tools will be capable of ushering in paradigm shifts, most recent example being Apple Watch. The only way for Apple to remain relevant in the future is to disrupt itself by coming up with new tools consisting of a combination of hardware, software, and services. Such groundbreaking tools won't be released every two or three years. In fact, Apple may go more like five, six, or even seven years between announcing these major new product categories. The point is that such paradigm shifts are needed. When you look at the marketplace today, there aren't enough calls for this type of thinking. There aren't enough people arguing that Apple needs to look forward. Instead, we have this narrative that, well, with iPhone sales slowing, Apple's moving to services to boost revenue. It's a joke narrative. It's boilerplate language that keeps finding its way into these Apple articles that are published at mainstream sites. I just don't know why it keeps happening. You have people talking up Apple's efforts with iOS, saying that Apple is building some kind of fortress. 
in reality, the way Apple will remain relevant in the future, the way Apple will remain influential in the future, is to look beyond their current success. This is a fundamental reason why I don't think of Apple as an iPhone company. Or a insert whatever the most popular product at the time is company. A couple years ago, it would have been the Mac company or the iPod company. Apple's culture can't be defined by just one product. Instead, Apple's culture is about coming up with new products. Where does this motivation come from? Where is it born? Well, at Apple's old headquarters, they have a quote from Steve Jobs in one of the hallways. If you do something and it turns out pretty good, then you should go do something else wonderful. Not dwell on it for too long. Just figure out what's next. Now that quote calling for figuring out what's next, not dwelling on current success for too long, that was from a 2006 interview that Steve Jobs gave. And he was asked where he sees himself within history's famous thinkers and inventors. The interviewer really wanted to know what was driving Steve Jobs to do all of this. And Steve ended up talking about the motivation for coming up with so many new products. For Apple, that Steve Jobs quote serves as inspiration for not resting on its laurels and instead coming up with the next pretty good thing. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoy this type of Apple analysis and you want more of it throughout the week, I do publish a daily email all about Apple. Each email is about 2,000 words and covers everything that I think matters in the world of Apple. This email is sent exclusively to above Avalanche subscribers. It is actually the cornerstone of an above Avalanche subscription. Above Avalanche is 100% supported by subscriptions. So if you enjoy my analysis, I think you would get value out of becoming a subscriber and receiving all of my analysis and perspective. For more information on becoming a subscriber, head on over to aboveavalon.com and go to the subscribe page. I actually have a few sample emails there as well for you to take a look at. Subscriptions are just $20 per month or $200 per year. Along with receiving my daily emails, subscribers have a number of different privileges and benefits, including accessing the archive, so you can go back and read previous daily emails. There's a subscriber form, and I recently announced a number of new features that are coming to Above Avalon subscriptions that will enhance the daily email. I like to think of it as it will bring the daily email to a whole new level. I will talk more about that publicly in a little bit of time, but those features will be rolling out in the coming weeks and months. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later.